Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everyone. We have two stories themed around Christmas tonight, since it is right around the corner. And I wanted to prompt the question... What do you want for Christmas this year? Or what do you want for the holidays, depending on what you celebrate? Uh, me personally, I don't think I can ask for anything, honestly. Uh, for those who don't know, my dad was diagnosed with um, colon cancer a while ago. Um, but he fought it, beat it, he's totally cancer-free, and just yesterday, he got the colonoscopy bag removed, and he should be coming home any day now. So... Truthfully, this close to the holidays, I couldn't ask for anything more. But let me know what you're hoping for, to find under the tree or in your stocking or wherever. Let me know. I'd love to hear it. It all started when I was a little girl. Christmas Eve 2004, I was eight years old. Santa, is that you? Footfalls on the staircase echoed through the house as I jumped up out of bed and ran past the doorframe to catch a glimpse of the man himself. Creak, creak, creak. I waited patiently in the hall, just outside my room. An outline appeared at the top of the stairs and then slowly made its way to me. The floorboards struggled to hold its weight as the sound of bending wood ricocheted off the walls and burrowed into my ears. Creak, creak, creak. Once the figure reached me, its form was illuminated. Bathed in the dim moonlight that shone through my bedroom window was leaked down to the hallway. My excitement was immediately replaced with pure terror. The thing standing in front of me was not Santa, not by a long shot. It was a walking shadow, a dense patchwork of pitch blackness in the shape of a man. I could neither breathe evenly in its presence or bring myself to run, petrified in a state of shock. And then he made his move. Darkness spilled out from the shadow man's hand as he extended his arm out over me. Soon I was encased in it, in all light fading from view. Aside from the pounding in my chest, all sound had ceased as well. Daddy! All he could think was to call out to my father. Surely he'd rescue me from this nightmare. Daddy, help! I'm in here! Of course. He never showed. Wherever I was, whatever energy had enveloped me, I was now unreachable. My connection to the outside world was lost, and I was alone. Before the inclination to cry or scream further could kick in, my tomb broke apart and dissipated entirely, revealing new surroundings. I wasn't home anymore. Not even close.
close. Despite the circumstances, it was breathtaking. Less a place than it was an endless expanse. There were constellations all around, at my sides, above, even below me. The only thing that separated us was a thin, almost transparent glow. It made up a floor beneath my feet, a ceiling overhead, and walls barely visible in the distance. It was an inexplicable light box, often some segment of the universe, partitioned from the rest. An absurd but brilliant architecture resting in the framework of the space. And admiring the stars and galaxies, I took in a dreadful sight. The shadow man was there with me, just a few yards from my position. He bolted in my direction, and I ran faster than I have ever run before. Escape, however, was not an option. We were in an enclosed environment, large as it may have been. There were no exits, or at least none that I knew of. Still, guided by a pervasive fear, I ran. I ran until my lungs caught fire and my legs gave out. I collapsed. And that's when he struck. The predator leaned over his wounded prey and placed his hands over my chest. From there, I was drained. Not of my energy, but of something else. A swirl of glowing particles arose from my body as the silhouette craned his neck back in satisfaction like a wolf howling at the moon. His dark, featureless face will forever be etched in my memory. And then, as I was nearly sucked dry of whatever it was the shadow sought for me, my consciousness wavered. In a matter of seconds, my eyelids dropped and the lights went out. At the time, I thought it was death taking hold. Even at eight years old, I welcomed it. Anything to end the torment, but as luck would have it, this was not death chasing and torturing me in a light box among the stars. It was something far worse. I awoke in bed, my father stationed at my side, trying his best to calm me. Come on, sweetie, it's okay. It was just a nightmare. I wrapped my arms around him and squeezed as tightly as I could, elevated to see him again when just moments before I was convinced I never would. It was a monster. It was going to get me. He pulled my arms away and held my hands in his, looking me right in the eye. It was just a bad dream. I won't let anyone hurt you, okay, Chelsea? Not ever. His words were comforting, but... He was wrong. It wasn't a dream. You have to believe me. He smiled and laughed. There's nothing we can do about it now. I'll leave the door open to crack and you try to get some sleep, okay? I nodded and he left. But I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. It wasn't a dream. I was certain of that. Every bone in my body rattled and the skin around them crawled at the mere thought of the shadow man in his light box. It was real. I knew it was. The years came and went, 
Every Christmas Eve was the same. Creaks on the stairs, followed by the shadow man taking me to his light box and bleeding me of my life force. Then I'd wake in my father's arms as he consoled me to the best of his ability. No matter how much I insisted it was all true, my psychiatrist and father both believed it to be a reoccurring nightmare, nothing more. Eventually, I stopped screaming in the middle of the night and pretended to be normal, if for no other reason than to be treated as such. I lied. Told them it was over. From that point forward, no one would ever have to know but me. It was my cross and mine alone to bear. More time passed, and I grew up. I graduated from college, bought a house of my own, the light box stayed with me every step of the way, but I never backed down, outright refusing to let it control my life. This attitude gave me strength in the face of trauma, and for a while, it felt like I was winning. The Christmas Eves don't get any easier, but the fear and misery I experienced in the aftermath that followed was fading faster with each passing year. If this was something I had to live with, at least I could do it on my own terms. It's what you would have wanted. But then... The unthinkable happened. Christmas Eve, 2019. This would be the first holiday I spent in my new home. Creek... Creak. The sound was identical to the one from my childhood. Though I had grown used to the routine, it didn't stop me from hoping each year that it would finally be over, especially now being in a new location for the first time. Location, of course, didn't matter. It was its focus, not the place. Creak. 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 I hid under my blankets as the goosebumps started forming. Being used to the routine also didn't afford me a thicker skin in the moments leading up to each event. As soon as it began, I was transformed into an eight-year-old girl again, frightened of the boogeyman. Creak. 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 This was it. I steeled myself and braced for the worst. The milky black fog then seeped under the covers and engulfed me completely, placing me in an all-too-familiar coffin. From there, the darkness relented and transferred me to that godforsaken light box in the sky. Everything looked the same, just as it always had, save for one glaring difference. The shadow man was gone. In his place, a gentleman in turn-of-the-century attire sitting at a desk. Hello, Chelsea. Please, have a seat. I think it's time we talked. I was floored. This had never happened before. There was never any dissonance in past events across years of being abducted. It was always the same. I can see that you're confused. Please, have a seat and all will be explained. Feelings that 
washed over me in this moment were many. Relief over not being chased again, hopeful that this was the end of many tortured holidays, and even proud that I'd somehow ended it myself, having stood my ground over the years. That one that bubbled to the surface above all the rest, however, was curiosity. That's why I did as instructed, and sat at the desk across from the mystery man, anticipating the answers he could offer me. Okay, Chelsea, fire away. What is it you want to know first? I pondered a moment, then asked. What is this place? The man smiled. It's the place where your kind come to rest after expiration. Expiration? I asked. You mean... death? Yes. Not... Here, specifically, of course, this is just where we harvest energy. I looked around at the vast emptiness. Really? There's nothing here. The man chuckled. <laughs> of course there is. You just can't see it. We're a loose collection of molecules doing work at a subatomic level, myself included. I only took this form to make things easier for you. Here, have a visual representation. The man snapped his fingers, and all at once the light box vanished. We were still at the desk, but we're now at the center of a massive office space, surrounded by what must have been thousands of cubicles, all with their own workers, rifling through documents and filing cabinets and answering phone calls. I looked back to the man, still confused. I don't understand. Is this heaven? Are you angels? What's, what's going on? He scoffed. Angels. Heaven? That's just what you humans call us. Here, we're just celestial overseers in the next world. No labels, just work and dedication. Nothing was making sense. Why am I here? Why is any of this happening to me? The man offered a look of vague concern. Well, Chelsea... Heaven doesn't run on will alone. It needs energy to keep going, and we take it from people like you. A short man with glasses hobbled over with a stack of paperwork. Overseer, what should I do? Not now, Lucian. Can't you see I'm busy? Lucian's eyes widened with regret. Sorry, sir. He took off into the maze of cubicles, a trail of papers left on the floor in his wake. I'm sorry about that. It's so hard to find good help these days. Where were we? <sighs> yes, energy. He leaned back in his chair and crossed his arms. Despair is the greatest energy reserve in the universe. One soul's worth is enough to power heaven for years, and because of that, we send operatives out every now and again to collect soul pieces from humans. You were the next candidate on our list. Me? Why? I asked. He leaned forward and his lips contorted into a wicked smile. <laughs> Your mother's death? Ring any bells? It was a perfect storm, really. Your mother passing on Christmas Eve, the night when a child is supposed to be at their happiest. From that point on, the holiday was tainted for you. You hurt with every breath you breathed since, but the anniversary of her death bridges you to our world. It's when your despair is at its peak. 
ripe for collection. A knot formed in the pit of my stomach. As hard as it was to overcome the shadow man's visits, it was nothing compared to the pain I felt every single day over the loss of my mother, even as an adult. When I was six years old, I wrote a letter to Santa asking for a cure. It would be my Christmas gift to her to see her better and walking around again. The cancer took her anyway and it destroyed our family. When the shadow man first came up those stairs years ago, I desperately hoped it was Santa so I could ask him to bring her back. The tears came without warning and quickly wet my face. Chelsea, don't fret. You're one of the lucky ones. Most people have their soul ripped apart until they die and are banished into the ether with all their other abominations, but you've lasted longer than the rest, well into adulthood. Your soul is tarnished, but you still cling to life with a vicious grip, the likes of which I've never seen. I wiped away my tears and looked back at the man, a smug expression painted across his face. So, what is this? You're letting me go? His boisterous laughter bounced off the cubicles and rang in my ears. <laughs> Quite the contrary, Chelsea. Now that your soul is damaged, I want to remap it, insert my own pieces, and build a better weapon. With you, we can extract more energy, enough to sustain us for centuries to come. My heart sank when I realized what he was saying. The Shadow Man. I'd become a creature like him. No, I, I refuse. Chelsea, you don't have a choice in the matter. He snapped his fingers and we were in another room. I was strapped down in a chair and could not move, much as I tried. The man came around wearing a lab coat and brought with him a cart full of sharp utensils. Don't worry, Chelsea. This is only going to hurt... a lot. I screamed, but it didn't faze him. He picked up a silver scalpel and carved deep into my chest. The pain was intolerable, and I vocalized it. No need to cry, Chelsea. You have a lot of tissue around your soul, but I'll get to it. Just you wait. It'll all be over soon. Though it shouldn't have been possible, he reached his arm all the way into me. The pain had yet to subside, but the sensation took the foreground. It was undoubtedly the strangest thing I'd ever felt. There it is. Lucian, bring the pieces. Lucian stumbled in with a tray of jars, each with a faint orb of light inside, and then placed it on the cart. Thank you, Lucian. You may leave. The man awkwardly reached for a jar, his other arm still in my chest. Lucian was still there watching. Here, sir, let me help you. Lucian attempted to push the tray closer. It collided with the man's arm and fell to the floor, breaking every last jar and freeing the soul fragments within, creating a remarkable disk of light in the middle of the room that grew larger with the passing moment. Lucian attempted to push the tray closer. It collided with the man's arm and fell to the floor, breaking every last jar and freeing the soul fragments within, creating a remarkable disk of light in the middle of the room that grew larger with each passing moment. The man pulled his arm out of my chest. God 
Damn it, Lucian, I told you to leave. If the light from these souls reacts with hers, she can reconstitute and wake. We'll have to wait for the next bridge. <sighs> you idiot. The light washed over the room and filled my field of view. I was entombed again, but not in darkness. It was a soothing energy that seemed to heal my wounds and render me painless. And then, like the darkness before it, it dissipated and transported me far, far away. In a strange turn of events, I'd been saved. I awoke in the comforts of my bed at home, jumping upright with a loud gasp, taking in as much air as I could after gathering some composure. I noticed the slight burning between my breasts, so I ran to the bathroom, removed my bra, and faced the mirror. That's when I saw it. It was a souvenir from heaven. A scar right where the man cut me open, a reminder of things to come. It's Christmas Eve when my despair bridges the gap between our worlds I'll be waiting. However foolish it may be, when I'm in heaven again, I'll stop at nothing to see my mother. Now that I know an afterlife exists, it's the only thing on my mind. Mom, if you're out there listening somewhere, watching over me, just know that I'm coming. And I won't let them have me. We'll be together again. You, me, and Dad, I promise. I'm going to bring you back. Whatever it takes. This morning, I saw Santa carrying in an old battered crossover. One of the back tires had been replaced with a donut, and I could see a small clothes rod hanging up in the space behind the front seat where the large man sat shuddering as he rested his wet face on white-gloved hands. Hands that gripped the car's steering wheel as though it was the only life preserver bobbing in a black and wintry sea. It wasn't the real Santa, of course. The Harvest Mills Mall couldn't afford both a cookie shop and a pretzel store, so the idea that they could pull in a real deal seemed highly unlikely. Besides, uh, I knew this guy, or at least knew of him. This weeping Santa was Taylor Lemons, a town drunk and regional cautionary tale. A few years earlier, his kid had disappeared around Christmas, never to be seen again. Before the holiday rolled around again, he lost everything. His wife left him. He started drinking all the time, and before long, his lucrative job as an IT manager for the big office park outside of town went the way of his wife and little boy. It wasn't a small town exactly, but it was small enough that word got around. Whispered gossip of all that he had lost. Men and women recounting the tale, embellishing it, wrapping it in the soft, smooth trappings of sympathy and regret, as though they hated so much what had befallen the man called Taylor Lemons. But beneath that wrapping was a sharper, nastier thing. A perverse sense of glee and voyeuristic sadism. A look that would steal across their face as they recounted the implosion of a human life. A look that said they were glad it happened. That maybe this man's misfortune confirmed their own good luck, or how their chosen God held them in esteem. Or that at the very least, it was a sign that an angel of despair had passed by their own door without pause, thrown off by the scent by blood already shed. 
Watching this man in his late 40s, tattered up in a shabby Santa costume as he sat in his car sobbing, I didn't feel any glee or sense of blessing. I only felt shame and sadness and, oddly enough, guilt. I almost went over and checked on him, tapped on his window and wished him a Merry Christmas, or at the very least, asked if he was okay. But then he glanced up, and my motivation withered. His eyes were so red and hungry, so raw and lonely. I couldn't deal with that. I didn't know him. Nothing I could say would help, and what if he was crazy or dangerous? So instead... I just gave him a little wave and went on my way. I could hear Uncle Mike's loud mouth before I made it through the front door. I'd known he was coming for Christmas, of course, but the knowing had done little but give me the constant needle prick of persistent dread, anticipation of loud stories as he steamrolled every conversation, awkward tension as he slowly got drunk and more obnoxious before turning the inevitable corner of being overly sensitive and apologizing to everyone for being such an asshole. As far as I could tell, he only came because he was bored and lonely, and we only invited him because Mom felt sorry for him. But whatever the motivations, it got harder to stomach every year, and I found myself thinking up excuses to go run errands or hide out in my room as much as possible. I closed the front door slowly, hoping I could scoot through the back of the house without anyone noticing, but... Lottie, come here, girl. Give Uncle Mike a hug. He was already to me before I turned around good, crushing me in an awkward bear hug that flooded my nose with the smell of stale beer and clove cigarettes. Letting out a rumbling laugh, he swung me under his arm and guided me toward the living room. Come see what I've brought to liven up our Christmas. My eyes had already found it. A monstrosity of a tree crowded into the back of the half of the living room. It had clearly been cut down quite a bit, and... It still pressed against the ceiling as though it planned to burst through the roof and reach out to the sky. Mom was stringing lights on it while Dad watched her work dubiously. It's, uh, it's big. I looked back to Dad, trying to keep the irritation out of my voice. What happened to Archery? He went to answer, but Mom beat him to it, a strained smile on her face. We put it back up, dear. Mike was good enough to bring us this beautiful thing, so we had to make room for it. Isn't it great? I stared at her. Uh, yeah. Great. Glancing at Mike, I couldn't help but add, the old tree was pretty great, too. Mike grinned and gave me a squeeze. No, no, I saw that thing. It was old and ragged. Artificial, too. No smell. He sucked in a deep breath. Smell that? That's the real shit right there. Smells like Christmas. I slid out from under his arm. Uh-huh. Uh, where did you get it? It's gigantic. My uncle hooked his fingers in his belt. Got it for my new job. Security and ranger for the Mercer estate up north. Lots of woodland. He jerked a thumb toward the tree. One of the fringe benefits is getting to bring a kick-ass tree for Christmas. I wanted to ask if he'd actually had permission to take one of the trees he was supposed to be guarding, but I suppressed the urge. 
No point in stirring up shit this early. Things would inevitably go downhill without my help anyway. What's that noise? My mom glanced at my father and raised an eyebrow. What noise? It was getting late now. Dinner had been eaten, a single present had been unwrapped by everyone, and now we sat in the stupor, staring at some sappy greeting card movie on TV, while Mike punctuated the bad acting and heartlessly chipper soundtrack with a thick, wet-sounding snore that made me more than a little queasy. Dad was sitting up more now. There's... I don't know, there's a funny squeaky sound coming from somewhere. He glanced around before locking onto the tree. I think it's coming from that thing. Mom frowned at him. <laughs> I doubt that. Seriously, you think there's a squirrel in there like in that movie? He returned to frown, irritation wrinkling his brow. No, but I know what I... He froze for a second cocking his head like a dog, catching a sign of his query. There, did you hear it? I nodded. I had heard something. A strange, softly shrill sound like a screen door squealing shut in a distant room. But the noise hadn't been far away. Dad was right. It was coming from the tree. He was on his feet now, pulling out his phone to turn a light on, walking up to it. I could tell Mom was getting ready to poke fun at him, but I didn't think it was going to matter. <laughs> he was determined, looking, as he reached the tree and lifted one of its heavy branches. I could see the side of his face, but it was enough to see him squint as he shined the light into the dark interior of the tree. Enough to see his eyes widen as something small and black leapt out onto his face. He stumbled back with a scream, which was all the opening the thing needed. It scuttled up from his chin and was gone inside, even as he fell to the floor and began thrashing as he clawed at his throat. I could hear myself screaming now, eyes rolling to Mom for help to fix things, to make me understand that this wasn't really happening at all. Something. But there was one crawling into her ear, black legs sliding out of view as her eyes fluttered, closed, and she began to jerk slide her way out of the chair and onto the floor. My last hope, unconscious Mike, was no hope at all. He hadn't stirred from the commotion, and even as I reached out to shake him awake, I heard a screeching sound as something sailed past my face and landed on his chest. I was going to try and swatted off, but then I felt something on me too, digging sharp feet into my back as it crawled up toward my head. I stood up to shake it or take off my shirt, but my legs weren't working right. Nothing was. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't breathe. I fell to the carpet, barely feeling the impact as the world contracted to a pinprick of terror, and then it was gone. I woke up to snow fluttering down my cheeks. I was in a field, some strange field I didn't recognize, covered in thick snow, and beyond that, a lake and a black winter forest unlike any I'd ever known. My parents and Mike were nearby, dead or unconscious on the ground, and 
my initial confused panic became more focused as I remembered the tiny black things that had attacked us from that tree. That was when I heard a loud snort behind me. I turned and let out a gasp at what was slowly approaching. Nine massive deer with thick shaggy fur and jagged horns that gleamed like metal in the cold moonlight and looked wickedly sharp. I felt no sense of wonder or joy at seeing them. Instead, I felt abject fear, wearing with icy dread in my chest as my mind tried to fully take in what was coming toward me. They trudged across the snow lightly, spindly white legs ending in heavy black hooves that echoed loudly despite leaving barely a trace on the winter skin of the world. Several of the deer had legs that moved at odd angles, and one seemed to have six legs instead of four, but all of this was secondary. My eyes were on the king. He was smaller than the rest, but only in stature. He carried the air of royalty, a surety of command. As if to confirm my impressions, a burning crown of red fire began to form between the warped nest of bone that sprouted from the sides of his head. I squinted against that brilliant beacon, even as I heard its rough voice clawing in my head. Are you ready to do what you promised? I lifted my arm to block some of that terrible crimson light. Promised? What are you talking about? You must do what you promised. Complete what was begun, or all is for naught, and they go into his minds. And you, Oathbreaker, will fare far worse. Wincing, I forced myself to look at the thing with the blazing crown. I haven't promised anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I felt heat coming off the creature as it stepped closer, towering over me. Its breath was fetid, boiling down as it boomed its poison across my mind. Really? It retched and spat something out into the snow at my feet. Then what is that? I felt my stomach shrivel as I looked down and recognized what had been deposited there. It was a folded piece of paper, clearly written in a child's version of my handwriting. On this side facing up, it said, To Santa. I looked back up at the deer and saw in its gaze that it knew that I recognized it, that I remembered what I said. Despite my fear, I frowned at it. I never got anything. I only asked for one thing and never got it, so I don't know what you're talking about. Don't lie, child. We know what you promised in your heart. You saw the boy that very day. Hated him just for the sake of hating. How happy he seemed when you were so sad and lonely with your shabby toys and shabby friends and shabby life. So you went home, wrote a letter asking for the one thing you wanted most in the world. That you'd do anything for, give anything for, and you deserved it, you said, because you had been such a very good girl that year. Taking a step back, I glanced around desperately. Should I try to run? Where could I go? What about my family? I... What do you want me to do? The voice thundered in my skull as the world broke apart. What you've already done. 
Just remember it and do it again. I shivered against the cold as I looked up at the second floor of the house. I thought I knew what window was Toby's, but I couldn't be sure. The idea of being out at night, all alone and up to no good, scared me, but it excited me too. And this was the riskiest part. If I could get him to the window, I could talk him outside. I was good at talking people into things, especially kids my own age. So I threw a pebble, and then a second. As I was readying a third, the boy came to the window. He looked sleepy and a little scared until he saw me stand up from the bushes. I was a year older than him and knew he liked me thought I was cool. It only took a few moments of whispered encouragement to get him to put on his coat and come down to the yard. I had something cool to show him after all. He didn't get nervous until we were five minutes into the woods behind his house. The scare didn't come until I was hitting him over the head with a rock until he didn't move anymore. There was a large overflow pipe nearby. I hadn't known it was there, never been in these woods before, but I hadn't had any trouble finding it when the time came. Even then, I guessed they'd find him eventually. One day next week, I'd hear about how little Toby Lemons was beaten to death and found in the ream pipe, and I'd have to act surprised and sad. But they never did find him, and I never got what I wanted, and before long, it was easy to think it had never happened at all. Until the deer brought me back to it. Had me do it again. Choose it again. And I felt his head give as I mashed that rock down into his stupid fucking face. I gagged at the stench of the reindeer as I came back to the now. It had lowered its face to mine, and so close the smell and heat were unbearable. If only I wasn't so terrified to move. The master keeps his word. Your family will be free, as will you. I nodded and felt a small, hopeful smile creeping onto my face. When they wake, you'll all be back in your beds, and they won't remember what happened to him, but they will remember you fulfilling of the pact. What you did in those woods. Gasping in cold air, I shook my head. They... No, they, no, they never knew that, any of that. There was a rumble from the creature that might have been a laugh. Mm. They do now. With that, the deer turned and began walking away, the procession of horrors parting for him, even as he paused to look back. Giving me a final baleful glare, he retched something else out into the snow before turning to walk away. I recognized it before it hit the ground, though I'd only ever seen it on TV years ago. I heard the burning deer's mocking voice in my head again. Here's what you asked for. What you deserve for being such a good girl. Enjoy your new doll. I stared at the slime-coated bit of plastic and cloth that was already disappearing into the snow, barely able even to recognize it now. peripheral vision, the snow-covered mounds of my family were fading away with everything else. I could already feel myself slipping back into warm darkness, 
None of this made sense. It wasn't fair. I looked up, ready to call out, demand an explanation or another chance, but... The reindeer and their king were already gone into the dark, and I wasn't far behind. I woke at home in my bed. My soiled prize tucked under my arm. It wasn't long before there was a pounding on the door.